Let's pray together. Lord, we need you. We need your word. We need your instruction. We need your encouragement. We need your challenge. So Holy Spirit, would you speak now through these words written for us and bring yourself great glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the things the church has been famous for since the church began is generosity. Generosity and caring for the needs of others. In fact, some ancient historians say that the ancient Israelites, these Old Testament people, invented the idea of charity. God, the God of the Israelites, invented the idea of charity. You only have to look around Australia and see how many of the charities that exist today, how many of the organisations, how many of the hospitals actually were started by Christians for Christian motives. Believe it or not, even Westpac began by a Christian for Christian motives, for Christian ambitions. It's not just caring for the poor, though, that Christians have been generous in. Christians have been well known for caring for each other. When the first church began, people looked at this new movement of Christians and were so surprised by the way in which they just radically cared for each other and were generous. And across that church, there's so many stories of generosity towards one another. Or perhaps it's generosity towards God's work, people giving to ministry, giving to church, giving to missionaries, making it possible for God's word to go out and change lives and God's kingdom to advance. And yes, Christians don't always get it perfect. God's church hasn't always been perfect at this, but we have a beautiful history of generosity because we follow a generous God. And it is pretty countercultural. You think about our society today, what we live and breathe is, that's my stuff, that's my money, I earned it, and so I can do with it whatever I want. No one can tell me what to do, I earned it, it's rightfully mine. And that's why what Deuteronomy says is so challenging. Remember, we just read it, chapter 15, verse 7, chapter 15, verse 7. Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted, Rather be open-handed. Last week I was at a cafe with my son Caleb and he was playing with a toy. This little girl came up to him, snatched the toy out of his hands and said, mine, mine. She grabbed the toy and her mum came over to her and said, well, now Sally, why don't you give back the toy to the little boy? And she tried to take the toy out of his hands and she said, mine, and held it even tighter. Tight-fisted. Now, if you think about it, we're like that too, aren't we? That's my stuff. That's my money. That's my possessions. That's my time. I can do with it whatever I want. Tight-fisted. And how different it is, though, to go from tight-fisted to open-handed. To say to God, God, I want to give you everything. Here's my time. Here's my passions. Here's my priorities. Here's my networks. Here's my resources. Here's my talents. Here's my money. I want to serve you, God. I want to bless you. I want to serve others. I want to care for the poor. I'm here. My hands are open. Tight-fisted. 
open-handed. So we've got two points this afternoon. Point number one, the danger of tight-fistedness. The danger of tight-fistedness. Look back at our first reading, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. Moses is speaking to the Israelites. They're on the edge of the promised land. He wants them, when they enter the promised land, to be generous, and so he warns them about being tight-fisted. Look at chapter 8, verse 10. Moses says this, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Jump down to verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. What's Moses saying? He's saying to the Israelites, hey, Israelites, you have been waiting for this moment for so many years. You're about to enter the promised land and it is going to be fantastic. You're going to love the land. It's going to be so good. You're going to enjoy it, and there's going to be so much food. You can order Uber Eats whenever you want, whatever cuisine, right there on your doorstep. You're going to love it. Your your stomach's going to be well-fed, and you're going to be able to build beautiful houses. That house you've always wanted, you'll build it, and you'll be sitting there on your balcony enjoying your food. And in that moment, don't forget God. In that moment, don't forget that the only reason you have all of this is because God rescued you out of Egypt and that everything you have is a gift from him. Don't become proud and think, I earned this, I made this happen, but remember the Lord. Now, isn't that what we so easily do? Think of it today, just today, all the blessings we've enjoyed, every breath we've enjoyed, the family, the friends, just being able to wake up in the morning, every dollar we've used today, the cars we've driven, the roofs over our heads, not to mention all the spiritual blessings that through Jesus we've been saved, we're God's children. There is so much that we've been given. And yet, how easy it is Instead of thanking him, instead of praising him, we forget him. Instead of thanking him, we're ungrateful. Instead of recognizing he's given us everything, we become self-reliant and think that we have been the one that has made all this possible. And so we're tight-fisted, tight-fisted. A number of years ago, there was a survey of senior corporate executives And these corporate executives were asked, what's the secret to your wealth and your success? What's the secret? And here's the top five responses. Hard work. I'm intelligent. I have a high IQ. I know how to be the best in every situation. And luck. No recognition that God is the one who gave me the success. God is the one who's given me this wealth 
What is it? It's pride. I've, I've earned it. It's my wealth. And that's what Moses is saying the Israelites are at risk of. When they live and enjoy the blessings of the promised land, don't forget God. See, wealth is dangerous, isn't it? Wealth is dangerous. Not because there's something wrong about money itself, but when we are rich, it is so easy to forget God. And we are all wealthy, by the way. If you earn an income after tax of $50,000, and there's some people here who earn a lot more, some people here who earn a lot less, but let's just say $50,000 post-tax, you are richer than 96.5% of the world's population. And wealth is dangerous because we can forget that all that comes from God. I think about the years Christine and I have been married. And there were two years when we were married when money was tight. I was studying at Bible college. We didn't have an income. And honestly, during those two years, God grew us so much to depend on him, that he would provide, that he is good. And then I think about the other years we've been married when money has been a bit more comfortable, not as tight. And how easy it's been for us to be self-reliant and forget that everything we have is a gift, that we need God, that he provides. Think about the credit cards that you own or the debit cards. It has your name on it, doesn't it? Andrew West. But actually, we should cross that out and write Jesus Christ. Because every dollar we have, we're just stewards of it. It belongs to God. The cars we drive, the homes we live in, they're they're all from God, gracious gifts from a loving God who loves us. And yes, we can use it for good things. God wants us to enjoy this world. And yet, we must honor God with it and remember him in our wealth. You see, when you think that everything that we have, we earned, then actually it just makes you more tight-fisted, doesn't it? Because you're the one who made it possible and you've got to keep working because you don't want to lose the wealth. And if the wealth goes and there's something that goes wrong, it's a tragedy. But actually, it's so freeing when you remember that everything we have is a gift from a gracious God because it frees us up to be open-handed because we trust him, we humbly submit to him because everything's a gift and we're thankful. I love the hymn. You know the hymn that goes, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You know the hymn? It's a great line. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Let's be people whose hearts just erupt in praise and thanksgiving and gratitude to the God who has given us so, so much. When we have that attitude, changes us from tight fists to open hands. And that's our second point this afternoon. How can we be open-handed in our generosity? Moses wants to show the people how to be generous. Flick to our second reading, Deuteronomy chapter 14. This is Moses showing the Israelites how they can be open-handed in the land they're about to enter. The first thing he tells them in Deuteronomy 14 verse 22 is to tithe, to tithe. Have a look at Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. He says, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. 
God's people, the Israelites, they were told to give to God 10%. 10% of all that they earned. It may have been silver or gold. It may have been in that society, flocks or cattle or produce. This was them saying to God, God, I want to thank you. I'm worshipping you. And I trust that you will provide for my needs. Even though I'm giving 10%, I trust you, God. Now, we know from other places in the Old Testament that primarily the 10% was used to upkeep the sanctuary where God's people met to worship God and to pay for the priests who served in the sanctuary. But here we see something cool and a bit different that this 10% was used for. It's a feast. They're told to eat the tithes and grains. It's this picture of rejoicing and celebrating in the presence of God and enjoying all the good things God gives them. You can see in verse 26, Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. See, this tithing for them wasn't, I've got to give God my 10%. I've got to do it again. This was a joyful thing that they loved to do, not a burden, but a celebration. But the tithing was used for something else, for the poor. Look at verse 28. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied And so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. What are they told to do? Every three years, bring the tithes, store it in the town. For who? For the poor. For the needy. For the fatherless. You know, people have looked at the ancient religions of the similar time. And most of the ancient religions, the gods of those religions would associate first and foremost with the elite of society. But here we have the God of Israel, who is a God who looks and notices and cares for the poor, for the downtrodden, for the fatherless, for the widow. Well, Moses goes on. He talks more about how to be generous. He talks about releasing debts. Chapter 15, verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. What's he saying? He's saying, if you're someone who's a bit more wealthy and you've you've lent someone something, lent them money, lent them land, every seven years, release the debt. Now, this might mean that every seven years they, they, they have a year off. They don't charge interest for a year. But you know what I think it actually means? Every seven years, they cancel the debt entirely. So just think, those of you who have home loans... Every seven years, the bank just says, let's cancel your home loan. It's all good. You can have the house. You don't have to pay back anything else. All done. Maybe that would give some young people a chance to get into the housing market for the first time. I mean, it's it's such a radical idea. Imagine a politician proposing this idea today. This is like God pressing a giant reset button. This is like God restoring society to its factory settings. You know how you do that in your computer? What's God doing? He wants to break the poor out of the cycle of poverty 
the generational cycle of poverty. The needy people to, to, to eat, to borrow money, and then get further trapped in the cycle of poverty. And this is God providing a way out. It's truly radical. It's crazy. And Moses makes sure they don't take advantage of this. Look at verse 9. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will towards the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. In other words, Moses wants to make sure that there aren't any wealthy people who they get asked for money and they go, oh, I'm just looking at the calendar here. It's you know, almost the seventh year. And if I lend you money now, in like three months, I'm not going to get any of that back. And Moses is saying, give generously. Give generously. He goes on, chapter 15, verse 12. We don't have time to read it, but he talks about slaves. Slaves were commonplace in that ancient culture. But God wants to make sure that these slaves are treated with justice and fairness every seven years, Moses says, to release them. And not just to say, hey, thanks, see you later, but to provide for them generously, abundantly. So, how do we apply these laws today? How do we apply these laws today? Are we to tithe 10%? Are we to bring every three years a whole bunch of money and cash and put it up on the corner of Military Road for anyone who needs it? Are we to have our home loans cancelled every seven years? How do we apply it? Well, these laws don't apply to us in the same way that they did for the Israelites. We're no longer a theocracy. God's people today are no longer a nation-state in the same way that they were for the ancient Israelites. And Jesus has died and risen again. That changes everything. We're living on the other side of the cross. And in the New Testament, the New Testament never tells us to tithe 10%. The New Testament never tells us to cancel debts every seven years. But that doesn't mean these laws are irrelevant. This is the same God making these commands here that we have today. And through these laws, we are given principles and beautiful instructions about how to live as God's people. How we can be not hard-hearted and tight-fisted, but open-handed. Take tithing. Take tithing. As a church, we do not believe in tithing. The New Testament never tells us to give away 10%. Actually, we're told to do something far more radical, to give generously. To give generously. And for some of you, to give generously might actually be to give 10%. And can I say, 10% is actually a good guide. I think there's a lot of wisdom there. It's a good guide to go off. For some of you to give generously would be 10%. For some of you to give generously would be giving 5%. For others of you to give generously, you'll be giving 40%. That's different for everyone because for God, it's not about a number figure or a percentage. It's about a heart. I love the story that Jesus tells about the poor widow. Remember the story? It tells about, talks about the wealthy people who were coming and throwing in thousands of dollars into the offer tree. 
And along comes a poor widow who gives, let's say, five cents. And Jesus says she gave so much more because she gave all she had. Do you see? It's about, it's about the heart. It's not so much about the percentage amount, but generosity. I remember hearing from a pastor in the States called Rick Warren. And him and his wife decided early in their marriage that every year they wanted to give a higher percentage of their income away. And so every year they'd sit down and plan their giving for the year. And some years they increased their giving by a percent. Some years they could only increase their giving by you know, half a percent or a quarter of a percent. But they've remained committed to, to give more away each year in service of God. Now, of course, it's not just about our money. It's about our being generous with our time and our passions and our jobs, generous in our friendships, generous in, the, in our families. But I think a good place to start is money and our assets. So who can we be generous to? Who should we be generous to? First and foremost, to the people of God. First and foremost, to the people of God. These commands in Deuteronomy. You see what keeps coming up over and over again. Fellow Israelite, fellow Israelite, care for the fellow Israelite among you. These are commands about how they can be generous to fellow members of God's people. And it's the same in the New Testament. In Galatians 6, we're told that we need to make a priority to care for other brothers and sisters in God's households. And can I say, when I look across our church, how awesome it is to see the generosity of God's people to one another. Someone needs a car, so someone lends it. Someone needs some cash. Someone lends it. Someone lends holiday homes. They give away kids' clothes. The list goes on and on. Beautiful generosity. We're called to be generous to the church. The only way our ministry is possible in our church is through the generosity and the generous giving of its members. We're called to be generous to God's work around the globe. That's why a huge percentage of our income as a church, our budget, goes towards overseas missionaries. We want to see God's word go out and change lives. But we can't ignore the focus here of being generous to the poor. Can I say, I do believe the number one priority for us as Christians today is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. I think the number one need for anyone in the world today is actually not food on their plates or healthcare or education. The number one priority need for anyone is to know the God that loves them and made them and gave up his son for them. That's everyone's number one need. And that's our, that's our number one focus. But just because that's our number one focus doesn't mean that we don't focus on the other things that people need, the other priorities, caring for the poor, being a voice for the voiceless, advocating for those who have no one to advocate for. Just because we are focusing, number one, on the gospel, doesn't mean we also focus, don't focus on caring for the poor and the needy. In fact, the very fact that we are people of the gospel, people who love Jesus, that's the reason that we want to be generous to the poor and needy. 
because we believe in God's grace and his love shown at the cross. And so we're a church that really wants to care and be generous to the poor. And again, look at our church. It's so encouraging. The way people serve every fortnight at Greenway, the local housing commission, people who make meals for the sick in our community, people who serve in aged care homes, the list goes on, the list goes on. So how are you going with being generous, church? It's sometimes helpful just having someone ask you, how are you going with being generous? When was the last time you stopped and actually reviewed where your money goes to? Now, especially with tapping and Apple Pay and Google Pay, it's easier than ever to lose track of where our money is actually being spent. Where is it going? In the Old Testament, the tithing was your first fruits. It wasn't, hey, God, you know, here's, here's the leftovers I've got. You know, a bunch of other things came up. Here's what I've got left. Here, I'll give that to you. It was saying to God, God, here's my first fruits. I'm trusting you. When was the last time you just stopped and, and planned and thought through your giving? But as we finish, did you notice verse 10? Verse 10, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. You see, God wants us to be open-handed and for it to come from a heart that is soft, that is generous, and that gives not begrudgingly, but joyfully. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. It's a great verse to look up later. You might want to write it down. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. As a church, we don't want people to give reluctantly because they have to. We don't want people to give because they feel manipulated. As a pastor, I don't know who gives and I don't know how much people give, and that's a good thing. Our desire and prayer is that we live out this verse and that each person gives what they've decided freely and cheerfully. And how do we give cheerfully? It's when we give in response to God's grace. God has given us everything, all that we don't deserve. That's why cheerfully, joyfully, we want to open our hands and say, here you are God. Here you are God. And at the cross, we remember our open-handed saviour who hung there on that cross, hands wide open, nails through his hands, saying to us, this is how much I love you. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you all I am, all I have. I love you. It's when we remember our open-handed saviour that we want to say to God, God, my hands are open. Here you go. I want to serve you. I want to serve the poor. I want to serve my church just like 
my Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the generosity that you have shown us. You've given us so much. Every breath we breathe, every good thing we enjoy. And we praise you and thank you most of all for Jesus and saving us and rescuing us from sin and death. Would you forgive us for our hard hearts? Would you help us to be generous to you, to your people, to what you're doing around the globe? Change our hearts to be soft. Change our hands to be open. And pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.